right? Where this is happening is your CEO starts to become a wordsmith and a copywriter. Yeah. Oh, I've got a great tagline up here. That is the end. That is the yeah. end. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my marketing career in leadership roles and as a trusted client advisor. And through these conversations, share some marketing street knowledge that I hope will bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come and say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn and Twitter. This episode was recorded on Friday the 11th of June. The sun is out here at the Rockstar CMO penthouse and I hope you've had a good week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Julie Ogilvy, former research director at Serious Decisions Forrester, returns to talk about defining a brand message. Our guest is VP of Marketing at Storyblock and SaaS marketing expert Thomas Peham. And of course, I'll round off the week with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, for a chat and a cocktail. Right, let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment, the final trip for now through Julie Ogilvy's marketing greatest hits or pet peeves from her fantastic marketing career, who, by the way, this week tweeted a suggestion for the F in F in marketing, Flim Flam. Let's hear if she thinks this week's topic is F in Flim Flam. Hi, Julie. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me back. Oh, absolutely. I'm having a lot of fun with our topics. Um, and this week, um, is, uh, the, uh, the, I think we're, we're now on to, I think we're now on to Julie Ogilvy's greatest hits because we were quite positive last week. So I'm, I'm going to stick with the hit. Um, and this week, uh, we were going to talk about defining a brand slash message. Now, what I wanted to ask you first with that slash is what's the difference between defining a brand and defining a message? Yeah, that's that's a great uh, place to start. Um, the way that I think about it is yeah. that the message is really, really the backbone of what a brand is. Mm-hmm. And a brand is sort of bigger than a message in that, you know, the way we um, uh, project a brand, um, you know, it involves uh, very often, you know, visual manifestations yeah. and there could be behaviors associated with it. And over time, it comes to have a meaning inside of people's heads. Yeah. So brands really live inside the minds again of the audience, mm-hmm. but it has to start, it has to start somewhere. Like there's a process that starts the development of a brand. And that's what I think of as the process of developing a message or messaging. Um, it's, it's, making sure that you have a pretty, you know, rigorous process so that you are, you're balancing uh, an understanding of who the organization is with what, uh, what the audience thinks, what the audience's needs are. And sometimes there's a disconnect there. And, you know, we've talked about this in one of our other episodes is a very often people go off you know, into a hotel <laughs> and yeah. they spend the day coming up with what their um, message is and it's mm-hmm. completely internally focused. And, and very often with technology companies, it's extremely feature benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. really a message about the product. What mm-hmm. I noticed talking to clients was, um, especially in the technology space, is that they would once they had reached a certain size, so they've gone from, you know, a 10 million company to a 50 million to a 150 million, mm-hmm. as they grow, they begin to realize that just defining themselves in terms of a single product, which is your, whatever their original offering was, yeah. not sufficient anymore. They need to have, they need to be able to say something about the organization and who the organization is and what the values and the vision and the mission of the organization is. And some companies have that really strongly from the beginning, but mm-hmm. that I found was the exception. Many companies start, 
you know, again, they're yeah. bringing an offering to market. And so everything is about that particular. Um, yeah, I, I've got a couple of points of what you said. I think that, I mean, we've 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 um we've talked about that scenario of a bunch of marketers in a in a in a in a conference room already and i think what comes out of those rooms is often aspirational isn't it it's not it's not really and it needs to be tested and um the second thing about that about about brand is are you saying that um it's 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 why you do the thing that you do you know it's it, it's not it's not the what i.e the product it's the why did you create this product? Why is is that what you're saying about the organizational aspects of the brand? Right. Ideally, there is something deeper there than mm-hmm. simply we all wanted to make money doing yeah. it. <laughs> and that's like obvious. Uh, you know, that's yeah. the reason businesses exist is to make money. Yeah. But um, to to bring out a little bit more again about you know what is the vision for how this um, makes the world. A better place. Yeah. How is it that we do our work, which is the mission? And what yeah. what is it that we hold dear as a company? What are our values? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in some companies, they've put a great deal of thought into this and other companies, ha- you know, yeah. really, really haven't. And, you know, what will happen is the, they'll say, well, we have a tagline. That's our yeah. brand. It's a tagline. Yeah. Yeah. And, one of the worst things I've seen happening, and then you've probably been in, you know, we've been in these rooms, right? Where this is happening is your CEO starts to become a wordsmith and a copywriter. Yeah. Oh, I've got a great tagline idea. Like, that is the end. That is the yeah. end, you know, yeah. about going down the wrong path, right? Yes. Yeah. First, you know, I think of the message development process is, again, having a lot of rigor around identifying, first of all, who are, who are all of our audiences, because- yeah. You know, you have, if you're a global company, you have multiple regions, you may have multiple market segments. And a lot of times what happens is there's a focus on one particular part of the business or one particular offering. And they create the message. They say, this is our organizational message. And they've left out a bunch of key audiences, including, you know, employees and and so forth. And and so, you know, we used to say, uh, sometimes people would bring us messaging and they'd say, tell me, if, is this a good message? And I'd say, well, I don't know if it's a good message because I don't know what the process was that yeah. you used to develop it. So it's all about making sure, again, that the process is that you're being inclusive. You're thinking through what it means for all these yeah. audiences in advance, because, you know, unless you have a time machine and you mm-hmm. can go and fix it <laughs> once you, you know, you yeah. So well, one I think one of the, the risks, isn't it, when when it's aspirational, is it flies over your audience's head. I think that um, what 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 concerns me about some of these things is is where we think too deeply about about this and feel we need some some sort of greater course that that we do when actually we just sell software and try and make money, right? I'm not suggesting that anybody has that as their tagline, but how how do you? How do you um, help organizations not overshoot, if you like? Because I, I genuinely sat in a conference room with brand new messaging being, being pronounced by, by the CMO. And everybody in the room pretty much around me was like, what? This has got nothing to do with the technology that you guys actually sell. Wow. So how, how, do you, how, how, how does one encourage people not to overshoot and get too, too highfalutin with their, their brand message? Right. It's, it's tricky uh, because you want to have you want to have things that are truly relevant to your audience mm-hmm. unique to your audience but again as you start to think about there could be multiple segments of the audience that you're uh, talking to yeah. and they have different needs so as you go up you have to shave off some of that detail to get to something that is yeah. you know is going to be relevant across all of these different audiences yeah. so in some cases, it comes down to maybe you have defined yourself too broadly. So yeah. you end up with sort of these glittering generalities and we're going yeah. to make the world better and, yeah. you know, all yeah. of this. Um, and that's all fine, but it, it, it doesn't it, it does have to at some point come down to what is it that you do in the world. And, um, you know, it's really tricky the larger the company is and the more mm-hmm. diverse. I mean, some of the clients I've talked to had, uh, for instance, they could have uh, products that were sort of pharmaceuticals, and they could also be making, um, you know, 
animal feed, right? Right, As, right, right. It was even bigger than humans, right? <laughs> How do we encompass all of those things? Yeah. Um, I think that the best that you can do is that understand too that there's layers to the message, yeah. and you can have a you know a very high level overall organizational message. But within that, under that, you can have pillars that are much more specific and relate mm-hmm. to specific audiences and specific needs. And that comes down to another big piece of it for me, which is, you know, you spend the time in the room, you come up with these ideas, you do have to validate it with mm-hmm. audiences. And yeah. then you have to help your your employees, you know, obviously your marketing team and the people mm-hmm. who have to implement it, but your employees at large, you have to help them understand what this means and how yeah. they're going to. How are they going to bring this to market? What does this mean for them in their jobs? Yeah. And that is the thing that I, I, is interesting. You know, we're talking more and more about customer experience these days. Well, how do you bring the brand to life in the form of a customer experience? Yeah, that's often. Like, and you mentioning employees there, I think that's perfect because if your brand isn't, I mean, they are the embodiment of the brand, right? And they are the ones that are going to go out and convince because you know in. There's a lot of people that say this, that the brand isn't a thing you define. It's the way people think about you. So you're influencing their view of your, yourself. And I, I, just, I recently went through a branding exercise and um, and somebody uh, in the panel when we were reviewing it said, wow, there's an organization. I don't think we're there yet, but there's the organization I want to work for. So I think if you that's yeah. that's what you've got to try and create with your internal brand, isn't it? Absolutely. And. Um, you know, it, there's, uh, you know, the, the employees are like transporting the customers to the destination yeah. of the, you know, here's your final, you have this beautiful vision down the road of who you want to yeah. be. We're always a work in progress getting to this, you know, this you know, bright and shining place on the hill. But, you know, the employees are are really responsible for getting them there. And, you know, we need to train them in the context of who they are in their jobs. And again, brand teams now are tend to be, you know, they're sort of small, high level teams yeah. there, but we need to think of this, I think in a much more, um, you know, tactical way of how do we train, how do we train employees to really understand what it means for, you know, if you're working in a call center, yeah. if you're out in the field, if you're a delivery truck driver, yeah. what does it mean? And, and, Again, that's that takes some amount of resource that typically doesn't exist in a small brand team to do that. Yeah. And when when you're uh, when you when you were talking to clients and they were hopefully they you you caught them before they'd come to you and say what do you think of this message? They actually came to you at the beginning of the process. Said, we're 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 thinking of um of redefining our message. Where do you suggest that clients start when if they're if they're looking to do something like this? Yeah, we had actually. Uh, sort of in, I think it was eight steps that clients yeah. would go through. And sometimes there would be a deep sigh, like, oh, well, we were hoping it would be a lot easier than that. But you know, you start with basically mapping out who the audience is. So mm-hmm. again, that understanding of who is it we need to appeal to across all of our segments, mm-hmm. that would be something I, I I would just as I think about doing this process. You're in that, you know, room yeah. where you work on this. These post-it notes or something on the board, just keep reminding yourself to go back and look at those and say, how is this great idea that we have? How is it going to resonate with, um, you know, software architects versus CEOs, you know, people in other parts of the world. So map the audience. The next thing I would say is a brand, an organizational brand needs to resonate at a deeper level than simple product messaging. So if you want to get beyond having that techie feature benefit messaging, you need to think about what are the fears and motivations? What is, who are these people? What makes them tick? And so that's something that sometimes uh, companies really haven't, you know, marketers really haven't thought about, but I would say that that's sort of a, a second step in the process is to say, sort of capture some words about that audience, you know, what are their aspirations, et cetera. And sort of capture that and and keep that in mind as you're as you're going um, through the process. You also need to understand what are the words, the actual words that people use in their day to day life as it as it relates yeah. to the product. Because yeah. we've talked about this before, Ian, but very often companies in their branded language will diverge 
entirely from mm. the way that people in the real world talk about themselves and their in their problems. And that goes back to our conversation about categories, because if you start describing yeah. your product in a different way to the way your customers describe your product, you're, you, you've created a disconnect immediately. And also you create a disconnect when they're looking for help and they're Absolutely. searching for you and they can't find you because you've decided you're now the purple prince of something and you're not the you know, Elvis <laughs> Presley they were looking for or whatever the right rock star right. analogy might be. Right. Um, yeah. So, and, and, and so that, and the so in terms of defining, so it sounds to me like when you're talking about um, it needs to resonate, you're talking about it needs to be useful to them, but it, and it, it needs to um, connect with their emotion around why they're looking for that help. Is that what you're saying? That's true. But it is also when you're, especially if you're talking about organizational message, it does also have to be true to who you are. So it yes. is not entirely externally driven. Yeah. And we would encourage um, clients, and often this is where branding agencies swoop in. And I'm mm. not against working with an agency. Sometimes, especially when it comes to you know, talking about what is the core mission of the organization, et cetera, it can be very useful to have an outside facilitator come in and do that. And, yeah. you know, there's usually a part of the process where you're bringing your executives together and you're asking them to think more deeply about what the company's vision and mission and values are. And it, it can be very helpful to have um, some kind of a facilitator. But once you've done that exercise, you've captured something, then I would say the next step is, okay, we've come up with some ideas. Let's not say that this is written in stone. Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to take this out now. We're going to talk to people in the marketplace and we're going to say, does this feel authentic to you? Does this yeah. feel like, the? does this yeah. feel right to you? Is this what you value from us? And you can get, you know, it, you should think of this as an iterative process. Another thing is people think, well, we're going to go off and we're going to spend it one morning you know, Wednesday morning, we're going to come up with this message and it's going to be great. Um, yeah, we're off to the races. Yeah. You really need to think of it as, you know, we're going to come up with candidate ideas. Yeah. We're going to take them out. We're going to talk to some customers, maybe some analysts or whoever your friendly yeah. influencers are, get their right. feedback. And we're going to come back and we're going to reshape that probably a bit. Right. And, and that's how you're going to get something that's going to be that right blend of here's who we are. Here's you know, authentic yeah. to who we are and something that is going to be appealing in the it's eyes of resonate. people. Yeah. And uh, this is also a good opportunity where um, if we're going to try and move away from the, the banal sort of uh, taglines and stuff, this is an opportunity to now differentiate the organization, right? And really demonstrate who they are as a difference to everybody else. Where do you stand on that? Because that's often quite contentious, isn't it? Because in order to be different, you need you you want to appeal to the one tribe of people you're likely to alienate another group or at least not purposely not appeal to them how how have you reconciled that kind of conversation in the past yeah i mean that comes down to uh, you do have to prioritize audiences right yeah. you say we're going to be all things to all people and yeah. we've we've all been in that, that situation <laughs> where, you yeah. know, nobody wants to give up any opportunity, you know, a yeah. sales, they said, Oh, you know, we could be selling to, you know, yeah. whatever yeah. Um, you have to prioritize. And if you don't prioritize, you will end up with that mishmash of yeah. we're all things to all people. So that's absolutely something that you have to do. And in my experience, when companies are able to do that and say, okay, we are going to focus on this particular, say it's a job role. Yeah. Um, they make progress in the market much faster. Yeah. Um, even in a more, if you're in a more narrow band, you're going to make, you're actually going to get traction. And yeah. when you try to, and, and sometimes it's a small company that's trying to be all things to all people. And it's yeah. absolutely impossible from a content perspective. Yeah. You know, it's impossible to create the amount of content that it's, you need. Yeah, it's finding your category and niche, isn't it? And uh, and, it and, and then and then leaning into that. Well, that was excellent. Thank you very much again, uh, Julie. I could uh, ask you many more questions on this, and I'm realizing the time. Um, when uh, and I keep saying that in all of my interviews, I've realized the time. But then I'm quite strict with. I like to keep. <laughs> I like to keep things to time. I respect 
um, I respect your time, really. Um, and if people want uh, more of this kind of advice and they spin the dial on the interweb, where are they going to find you, Jeannie? Well, they'll find me in my retirement home, which is <laughs> chubbycouple.media, uh-huh. where I pontificate on marketing and life issues with my um, my partner, Tim Dempsey. That's very nice. Well, thank you very much for your time again, Julie. It's been a joy. Would you come back again? I I could be convinced to come back. <laughs> That's splendid. Well, I'll work on my influencers. I'll work on my message. And I'll um, I'll also um, define the category that you should meet, come into for this. And that, that summarizes the last three weeks. <laughs> thank you very much, Julie. I'll speak thank to you, you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Julie. Very lucky to have captured her insight over the last few weeks. If you missed them, I would encourage you to skip back a couple of episodes. I've had some wonderful feedback on what she shared. As you heard, you can find Julie on LinkedIn at chubbycouple.media and she's Ogilview on Twitter. I will, of course, include all her links in the show notes. Next week, we'll be swapping one Forrester alumni for another as Jeff Clark will be back. On to our guest this week. Thomas Peham is VP of Marketing at Storyblock, a headless CMS vendor that is built for both the techie and the marketer. And as you'll hear, Thomas is a SaaS marketing expert. He's run his own CMO as a service consultancy. He was head of growth at UserSnap, where he recruited a marketing team and helped grow revenue by 10 times. And before that was at Dynatrace, a growth-driven B2B SaaS company that is the leader in software intelligence and application performance monitoring that successfully IPO'd in 2019. It was a pleasure to catch up with Thomas. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Welcome, Thomas, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me today. Uh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Um, uh, obviously, I read out the bio before we hit record here, but um, tell us a little bit about yourself, what the readers and uh, listeners need to know. Sure. So um, my name is Thomas, and I'm the VP of Marketing at Storyblock. And, mm-hmm. um, Storyblock is basically Headless CMS, um, which I've joined mid last year. And prior to that, I... I started in the whole, let's say, SaaS industry in 2014, and since then I'm I'm just stuck here. As I really <laughs> love I really love tech. I'm a nerdy guy, and I love yeah. technology and how software helps businesses um, through all sorts yeah. of use cases. And yeah, I've I've been working for startups, scale ups, and enterprises in the past few years. Um, as a marketing generalist, I would say, like I'm, I'm not a specialist in, in any particular role right. or channel, but um, I think I, I'm quite good with connecting the dots between marketing and the general business side. So yeah, nice. That, that's about me, I guess. <laughs> nice, and I guess um, in, in, you're joining us from Austria, correct? That's right. I'm, I'm located on the countryside in Austria, like an hour outside of Vienna. Um, nowadays, as with the whole Corona pandemic, a lot of people tend to move to the countryside. So, so I'd mm-hmm. like to joke that um, we've been one of the early adopters who, <laughs> who already did that a couple of years ago. <laughs> it's beautiful down there. I, I had the, I was fortunate that I worked for a German software company in, in Munich, and I got to go um, and then travel around and yeah. spend a little bit of time in yeah. Austria and stuff. So it's a beautiful part of the world. I strongly recommend coming to see you. Yes, very nice. <laughs> it is. Um, it is. <laughs> So, te- so I mean, you mentioned a couple of things there with Storyblock. So, and, and we actually met when Kathy, when I interviewed Kathy McKnight, and we talked about, we actually talked about your funding, and we talked about Headless, and we had a bit of discussion about that in February, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Um, so, two things there. One is, is what is it that Storyblock actually do for people that don't understand what a Headless CMS is? Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. So, so, Storyblock is a headless content management system, as you just mm-hmm. said. Um, yeah. We've been founded in 2017. So, I guess, technically speaking, you could still call us a startup. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first few years, Dominic and Alex really started the business by building up this amazing content management system that not only gives developers all the tools and freedom that come with Headless, because mm-hmm. basically Headless, as, as you know, and probably mm-hmm. some of your listeners know, um, it, it basically stands for the the API-first approach, right? That mm-hmm. we as a headless system have a decoupled backend that has nothing to do with your front end. 
where right. you publish and send your content to. So that's the whole idea of Headless, right? That you use uh, a backend system that is so completely decoupled from the backend and talks via APIs to different um, platforms, be it the website. We still talk about websites these days, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. Um, there, there's so many more, let's say, digital experiences out there mm -hmm. where people need content and need to manage, yeah. edit, create, and orchestrate content. So, right. and I'm not even talking about mobile and that such, but there, there's voice, right? We're, we're talking mm -hmm. about voice-assisted devices. We're talking about IoT and all, basically any interface that could host and run digital content. And the big advantage of a headless system basically is that you cannot manage that in one central place without mm -hmm. caring too much about where it should be displayed in, in right. at the end. At the end, right. um, what sets us apart, I would say, compared to maybe other content management systems in that space, is I, I think one thing in particular which comes down to editors and marketers. And I'm I'm not a developer per se, so I'm a marketer, right? And mm -hmm. um, what, we believe at Storyblock that we not only give developers the, the headless tool and all the, the freedom they need for building up this great experiences, but build, also give like editors and marketers an interface they actually love to use, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, it comes down to how easy is your content management system to use Absolutely. for the people working with the actual content, yeah. be it editors, yeah. marketers, or other business people. And if yeah. they don't like that experience, <laughs> they won't use your system. Let's let's be honest, right? So, Absolutely. And, and that's at, at that point, people or companies start building up all these weird workarounds for for mm -hmm. your CMS operations mm -hmm. to, to, to give editors the tools. So, so yeah. we believe that we do that by default by giving editors and marketers this nice interface where they can easily edit content. It's simple as that, right? To edit content yeah. on your website, send content to your mobile app, send content to your Alexa skills. Mm -hmm. um, and we believe that we, are one of, we have one of the best interfaces on, on, on doing that. Right. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, this interview is a bit of an indulgence for me because I've been in the CMS industry since Vignette, which is like 20 years. So, <laughs> so, um, so probably people are tuning out now to two CMS geeks talking yeah. about this stuff. So let's get a bit back to your marketing career. Um, your, your journey into marketing. So, um, are you, are you a trained marketer? Is that how you started? Um, yeah, it is basically. So I, I started first business at university and then got into the whole marketing space, namely speaking through agency experience. So mm -hmm. my first job basically was working for a digital agency, um, um, in the early 2010. Um, mm -hmm. and basically it meant working on all sorts of digital campaigns from running newsletter campaigns, lead nurturing campaigns, social media became a thing back then, right? Mm -hmm. Um, doing that for P2P as well as P2C clients. So that's, that's sort of the starting point of my true passion for, let's say, digital marketing. Um, mm -hmm. because through that agency ex exposed me to all different, um, channels and areas within marketing. So that's, mm -hmm. that's sort of where my marketing sto story starts. Um, and as in mentioned in the introduction in 2014, I, I joined a, a startup back then as the first hire in, as, in marketing with the mm -hmm. main goal of, Hey, Thomas, we, we, we've built this, this great, um, SaaS product. We believe it's yeah. great. We've seen some first traction. We believe we have product market fit. Um, we got some good international clients. Now, can you scale that, right? Mm -hmm. we, we believe that that content, content marketing is the thing to go because that's, that allows us to scale the whole business, right? So right. that was my starting journey in B2B SaaS. And yeah, luckily, yeah. it ended up, out, it turned out quite well with this first startup. <laughs> yeah. But um, after that, I, I switched to um, Dynatrace, which is um, originally founded in, in Austria, but nowadays listed in the New York Stock Exchange. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was, I was running the digital marketing team there and... Um, basically learned that also in big companies, marketing sort of works in the same way as it does in, in smaller ones. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it sort of made me think on um, going back to st one step and starting my own business. And that's mm -hmm. when um, it was around 2018 when I, when I started my own CMO as a service business. Mm -hmm. And basically it meant um, consulting um, other SaaS businesses on um, anything from marketing strategy 
to how to run your marketing team, how to set up your marketing team, as well as um, marketing operations. And yeah, I, I used to position myself in, in terms of if you have already a marketing team, great. Yeah. Um, I can be your sparing partner. I can be the person that's, that's challenging your CMO, that's challenging yeah. your head of marketing in terms of, are you really doing the right things? Are you really focused yeah. on the right topics? Or if yeah. you don't have that, I can be your interim CMO for now. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And how did that go? I mean, a lot of uh, marketers right now um, are looking at becoming uh, independent or creating their own companies. How did you find that transition when you went from working in a large organization to, to striking out on your own? Yeah. Um, that's a good one. I, I would say, first of all, and foremost, I, I've, I found it amazing in terms of the freedom it g gave me because mm -hmm. um, like 2018 was prior to, to COVID and the pandemic, but it allowed mm. me basically to, to work completely remotely with companies in all different locations and mm -hmm. regions of the world. And I, I really strived for that. So comparing that to my previous work experience, um, working for an enterprise, we obviously had offices. I had to commute to the office. And sometimes I was wondering, I, I was basically commuting to the office while then spending most of the times in meeting with yeah. colleagues and clients all over the world, right? So um, one of the incentives, I would say, why I started the whole business was to, to get that freedom, to get that yeah. um, independency when it comes to locations. Um, yeah. So, so I guess that had the biggest impact first and foremost um, on, yeah. on the personal side. Yeah. And what, would you, what advice would you give to people? I mean, what was, what was the challenges that you had and how, how, would, how, would, um, how would you recommend people approach this if they're looking to do that? If people are looking to build up their own marketing freelance mm. business, um, I think it, it requires some, some time before you start uh, like building your freelance business. And by that, mm. I basically mean I, I didn't start in 2018, right? Like I, I, like when I joined the, the B2B SaaS company back in 2014, I was building up my, let's say my network. I, I don't like the word networking and such, but <laughs> I, I built up this, this, this network of fellow SaaS people in, in, mm -hmm. in the, in the industry, right? And I, I got asked multiple times in terms of, can you help us with certain things, mm -hmm. Thomas? Can you, can you join in for some workshops and such? So. Between 2014 and 2018, I was basically doing four right. years of getting to know people, building up the network, building up the expertise, yeah. setting everything up that basically allowed me in 2018 to, to not start from the scratch, but to already mm. have that, to already have a list of clients because like I'm quite risk, risk averse, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I, I, would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend anyone to start from the scratch without any plan B or without any, mm. any fallback. So. I would first and foremost recommend to to plan and think about what's what's your target, right? What's mm -hmm. maybe what's your targeted industry? There are a lot of freelancers out there. There are a lot of yeah. marketing agencies out there. What's the one thing you're good at? Is it an industry you're focused mm -hmm. on? Is it a topic you're focused on? Is it a certain type of channel you're focused on? What mm -hmm. is it that sets you apart compared to others? And how can you already build that up pre-launching your business? Right, right. I think that's great advice. That sounds fantastic. So um, your your specialism, so you mentioned that there, you need to find your niche, you need to be, um, whatever, define yourself yeah. as a marketer, and yours is B2P SaaS. So what are the, what are the, the um, challenges or the main attributes you would see for being good at B2B SaaS? I mean, we talk a lot on this show about B2B versus B2C, yeah. Yeah. but your, your niche in there into SaaS, what are the challenges with marketing a SaaS product? Yeah. Um, so having worked for different SaaS products, I would say one of, one of the challenges that, that come up in, in most occasions or in many occasions to say is the topic that we sell software, right? We sell mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. that is not visible in the first place. Um, mm -hmm. as said, I, I don't know how that works with e-commerce and, and other industries, but I think a lot of, a lot of, let's say, challenge that I see is, uh, is, and, is in regards to we sell something that is not directly a hardware product or yeah. that is something invisible and that goes along the messaging right like how do mm -hmm. you how do you build up your whole messaging framework for your software um and a lot of especially a lot of startups scale-ups struggle with this question because it it goes around the question of what are my use cases what are the jobs to mm -hmm. be done that my software can fulfill and 
especially founders are quite like maybe more technical founders are quite focused on we can do everything True. right we can solve all problems we we, we 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 rescue the world etc cetera, etc cetera. but that, at the end of the day that's not the case that's not the truth um usually you have one particular niche one particular focus where your software is really good at in solving certain jobs to be done for your clients or solving certain pain points and I think the challenge, or if I would put it differently, the, the main topic in the beginning should be, let's focus as much time, as much resources in your marketing, in your business in general on what is really the pain point you're solving, right. what is really the topic you, you're in, right. and how can you build a messaging framework on top of that? Right. Um, I think that's great. So it's not just about when you say focus on your marketing, it's not just focus on the execution of your marketing yeah, and how yeah, much paid yeah, advertising yeah. you need to do, but actually spend some time creating the story you yeah, need to tell yeah, into the market yeah. in the category yeah. you're in, right? Absolutely. Um, create the story, create the create the, the category, define the category you are in. Mm. I mean, it's simple as that, mm. right? And and as marketers, we tend to create our own uh, yeah, categories way too often. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not so saying create your own categories every time, but find your niche, find your category, mm -hmm. and find how your story on um, why you're different, why you, yeah. why your solution might be different than others. And how do you handle like the impatience of a founder that thinks, well, I want to hire a marketer, and then I want to start marketing. Yeah. Yeah. rather than and not understanding that well to start marketing is to is to do this groundwork ha, do you have you had a challenge there where that where you've you've needed to say whoa hold up yeah. slow down yeah. we need to do these steps first how's that gone yeah um absolutely so that resonates a lot uh, i would say it also depends on the stage the company is in so it's obviously mm -hmm. a different journey if you're if you're still looking for product market if market fit if you already have a scaling yeah. business or if you might be already an enterprise um, but as, and, and I think it goes back to one of the conversations that you had in your previous, um, podcast episodes around why is it the case that the CMO is, has the sh shortest tenure in the C-suite, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I think it goes, a lot goes into this alignment of how can you align your marketing, especially when you're just starting it, when you're just yeah. building it up with the wider business, yeah. because at the end of the day, it's, if, if, if someone would approach me, Hey, Thomas, you're now our CMO as a service. Let's run with that. The, mm -hmm. One of the first things I would make sure is that marketing is not a silo, right? Mm. Um, if it's a silo, there's something wrong in your in your business, most likely. <laughs> yeah. um, marketing is the umbrella that connects uh, a lot of dots, looking at the product yeah. side, looking at the sales side, looking at the general business side. Mm. So I would say you, you need to re re refocus or readjust your view on what marketing means to you and your business. Mm -hmm and mm -hmm. what your marketing goals really are that help mm -hmm. you reach your business goals. And then yeah, we yeah. can have all the, the relevant follow-up discussions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, I think it was some comments made by um, Richard Metcalf um, in a previous episode about that stuff. He's an executive um, coach, and he was saying that you need to have a, a, a strategic plan for marketing, not just a... So, uh, not yeah. just a marketing yeah. plan yeah, not you know, just, so, yeah, yeah yeah where yeah. are you going to yeah. take this yeah. so that that's yeah. an excellent point it's good to hear that reflected yeah. back so I've, i'm i'm conscious of the time and um, we're um i'm going to come to our last question that i know always needs a lot of thought from our guests so my last question is um we have a regular feature here at rockstar cmo which is the swimming pool uh where we throw all of the bs snake oil and overhyped trends that we hate about this industry we love what would you throw in the rockstar cmo swimming pool it's a good question because as a marketers we 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 tend to think in buzzwords way too often but mm -hmm. um one of the the things i would throw in there is um digital experiences um mm -hmm. in general and the, what goes along with that are digital experience platforms uh -huh. and how we define a digital experience platform these days i think that's yeah. still quite wag so yeah, well, the, the fact that these monolithic, huge sort of software stacks that people are buying into, and it, it just isn't, it isn't uh, relevant to, yeah. to what you're trying to do. Absolutely. Okay. At the end of the day, it comes down to how does, as said before, how does software solve a certain problem, yeah. a certain job to be yeah. done? And yeah. like, people don't necessarily care about the label you give yeah. to that. 
Right, right. Yeah, I think, and we've we've uh, we've actually had um, many occasions where uh, these monolithic platforms and these big terms have been thrown into swimming pools. So I think they're getting very wet. So I think that's a very good a very good example. So um, so uh, so we'll round up there. And and Thomas, where um, if people spin the dial on the interwebs, where where they find you? Um, yeah, you you can find me on Twitter um, with at Tom Piham. You can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, uh-huh. as well as um, Thomas minus Piham.com. Yes, and uh, Storyblock, I presume, is Storyblock.com. Yeah, so if you want to learn more about Storyblock, um, simply hit us up at Storyblock.com. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Thomas, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Cheers. Yeah, same here. Cheers. Thank you, Thomas. If you know me, I'm a bit of a CMS industry geek, so that was fun for me. And yes, another vote for chucking in monolithic tech stacks into the swim pool. And that vote often comes from marketers at tech vendors. Very interesting. Let me know what you think. I will, of course, include all of Thomas's links in the show notes. And you can find Storyblock at storyblock.com. And by the way, that's block with no C. Right. It's that time of the week. It's Friday evening. And time to find out where my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, would like to transport us to for a marketing thought and a cocktail in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It is good to see you in the bar. Um, I've crawled out of the little air duct vent and <laughs> popped down into the bar to, for my job. And, I forgot um, you were there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that little bump in the night that you hear, that's me just like turning in my sleep. Um, <laughs> we have a we have a lovely uh, cocktail this week. It's the mm-hmm. is it is it is it finally warm there? Is it? it are you? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. So we summer have, has finally those... broke. Yes. Yes. But today I was talking to my American colleagues about how what we can also have in in the UK is a grey warm day. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so you you get these very muggy grey right. days. So earlier most, on it was one of the the most English just, of summer days. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah. we've had some good weather. So and, and I've got some time off, so I'm going to try and enjoy it too. So yes, oh, we brilliant. have some, we have some nice weather. So. Oh, brilliant. Well, this is summer has it is hot here, um, and uh, mm-hmm. and so I thought uh, we'd have a summer cocktail a, a, for the heat yes. um and uh, we're you know so you, you'll be familiar with this the collins um uh, as a as a drink um mm-hmm. <laughs> being as you're familiar with the tonic and all of that mm-hmm. um but this is a tequila collins um yeah. and it's a hat tip a bit to the unofficial yeah. start beginning of summer which happened mm-hmm. here in the u.s um with our uh, memorial day and um it's uh, it's got a bit of so it's 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 a very simple very simple cocktail. Uh, it is simply lemon, a little squeeze of lime, and then I prefer sparkling water to tonic. Um, I just find it more refreshing, and I don't really like the taste of tonic all that much. But oh. and then, of course, a healthy dose of reposado. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see what you have in your in your cabinet mm. here that that might Let's... be able to. Do that. Let's see how I can replicate that. And you know what I can recommend if you've got an aversion to tonic? Well, you should put in that. Now, now hold that thought, sir, because I may have something for you. Um, did you put ice in that? Yes, indeed. Oh, yes. It's a summer drink for sure. Now, that would seem that I put one big lump in. And I know we've talked about one big lump of ice, um, but actually I cheated. I that think was, this uh, one is too. more of a, yeah, a, a, a for cubes. Uh-huh. Well, that was two cubes stuck together, I've got to confess. <laughs> uh, bit of gi- uh, oh, sorry, tequila, you say? Well, I have, again, the most lightest and English of tequilas. I have Bombay Sapphire Distilled Lime. Oh, that is gin. not tequila, but yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> it will It will do in a pinch. It's um, it's it's vapor conf- vapor infused. I've just read the bottle, so it's got vapor in it. So that's good. Now then, and that's my secret to drinking tonic, sir. Because uh, oh, I can't get this open. Uh, because uh, I will, of course. What did you put in yours? This would be a little lemon, a little lime, mm-hmm. 
and then mm-hmm. I do sub uh, sparkling water for tonic. And well, I know it's I not, not the same. I know it's not. I know it's definitely not the same. But how I, peculiar I that! How peculiar that for a change, you subbed and I'm not subbing. I'm putting the right thing in. So I you put are in indeed, cucumber. Yeah. You are truly making water. it, Collins. Yes. <laughs> Let me give that a try. See it. See how that goes. Oh, that's delicious, Robert. That's very nice this week. You've, uh, you've you've outdone yourself. I love that. I could drink one of these every week. What did you call yeah. it? You could, well, you probably what, will drink one of those every week. I probably week. will drink one of these every week. And what did you call yours? Uh, this was just a, a, a plain old tequila Collins. Nice, tequila Collins. I am going to have to try some, some, swapping gin out for tequila at some point, but then... You know, where would the joke be in that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and if we're if we're nothing, we are going to run this yes. joke into the ground. It is there is no doubt well, about it. Well, I understand that uh, when you're doing this social media malarkey, you need to be consistent. <laughs> and every week I will be consistently telling the same joke. <laughs> you can always count on the same joke each week. That's consistency. Exactly. Exactly. I believe I heard it in uh, Content Inc., podcast by joe polizzi oh who's that guy how <laughs> was that guy all right mate so um, we're sipping these lovely drinks and it's a beautiful day uh, i'm assuming where where are we going you know i think well you know i i think let's go to your house i mean let's 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 enjoy mm. that gray english day um let's <laughs> sit out i've not been to your house so i i think i, I no. need to show up there and 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 we need to sit out in your i don't know if you have a garden in the back or yes anything like yes that. and a deck yeah yeah, yeah nice I we'll do. sit out on your deck yeah. and um you know and and enjoy yeah. the gray uh humidity that would be amazing um i think that my family and my my wife and family would be shocked to see the real robert rose actually in my house and <laughs> hear your voice probably none of you please so i'm sure yes <laughs> but if they were to hear your voice in real life and not just booming through the kitchen speakers while I'm cooking and you're doing your podcast, I think I, I, nice. I wonder what reaction I would get. Yeah, you might have to do, um, you know, a, a, a 10 minutes or so on content marketing while I'm cooking. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I'm talking about that. So, so we're sitting on the deck and I'm showing you my vast collection of Robert Rose uh, content marketing books. Mm. Um, what, um, <laughs> what would we be chatting about? Well, you know, something that was, it, it actually struck me um, uh, about a, well, a couple of weeks ago. Did you see uh, or have you watched the Friends reunion? Yes, yes. Um, we, we saved it up and, um, and yeah, we, we did watch it. Yes. And so um, uh, there was a really interesting thing that was the, one of the show's creators uh, said during mm-hmm. the show um, about budgeting and it just it like yeah. struck me so I ended up going and researching it and it's actually a thing um, so it, have you ever heard of this thing called the bottle episode no all right so here's the here's here's the way this works this is not a friends thing per se but it was it came up during the reunion show and I just thought it was fascinating which is so when you look at friends it's you know, it's one of the most successful television shows of all time, right? So it ran yeah. for a decade, 10 years. Uh, never in that decade did it leave the top 10 most watched TV shows, at least here in the U.S., for sure. And it was also, by the time it ended, uh, one of the most expensive television series of all time um, because wow. of the way that the six main actors very famously negotiated together each one of them by the end of the last two seasons anyway were earning more than a million dollars an episode so mm-hmm. here you have this incredibly important anchor content for product of you know what the network is trying to do and so you think right in that in that scheme you, you never even think about budget in that idea um and so because the revenue was just incredible. It was making, even despite all of that expense, it was making wow. hands over fists money. So you go, okay, well, what does this have to do with marketing at all? And, and, and what was during the show I found very interesting was Marta Kaufman, who's one of the creators there. She talked about the idea of bottle episodes and yeah. come to 
come to hear that that's a trope. That's a, a, a relatively well-known term in the TV business, um, which basically means a bottle episode is one where you purposely shoot it on one location, don't have any guest stars, nothing that would basically get it above the most basic of production costs. And yeah. the idea is that in each season, you strategically plan to have a few of these so that you can save up money for the more extravagant episodes. Right, um, right. And so what fascinates me about Friends is, is that here's this show with an abundant resources, abundant budget, and the creators were still planning on having some shows that had extravagant budgets and some that were just really bare bones minimum. Yeah. And the yeah. reason it resonated with me so much is because when I have conversations with marketing people, I'm amazed by how many still manage their budgets by simply taking, you know, their semi-annual or annual budget, dividing it by the number of months and that, and then looking mm. at the number of content pieces to produce in that month and basically saying, mm -hmm. that's our budget for each content piece, you know? So for example, I had a, a, a client say to me, ah, oh, we're going to have to create six white papers in a quarter. So he yeah. does the math and basically assigns an equal amount to each white paper project. And I say, well, why do you do it that way? And he says, well, because we don't know what we're writing. We don't know what we're going to do uh, or where we're going to source them. So I'm going to try and get each one as cheap as I possibly can, which saves a little more money for the next and the next and the next. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the quarter, I can decide whether I want to do something really expensive or spend the leftover mm -hmm. money on something else. And mm -hmm. it's just an awful way to do budgeting. It's just, an, it's just because what it does is that it basically pushes everything out that you might want to do strategically until the very end. And so this is really hard to create extraordinary content if you, if you do it this way. And once I sort of heard about this bottle episode concept, it just makes perfect sense to me. Like the key in all of that is when they wrote they at least knew what they were going to do for the entire series, you know, in a yes. sense, right? In other words, she's saying, ah, here's what this season is going, you know, they may not have these scripts written yet, but they plan it, right? They plan out yeah, all yeah. They to do over the course of a season and say episodes five and six and eight will be our bottle episodes that we have, we spend a little bit of money on so that right. episodes nine, six and two can be really ex this extravagant thing that we want to create. And it's all awesome. Now, the interesting yeah. thing that they, the sort of the punchline to the whole thing is when she talked about it, she talked about this idea of the bottle episodes. What, what Marta Coffin was talking about was how the bottle episodes were some of the best episodes ever. They weren't just, yeah. they weren't just sort of cast offs, you know, so that, ah, we're going to spend, you know, those are the cheap ones. No, some of them ended up because of the way that they were forced to work within a budget were some mm. of the best episodes of the series ever. They had to get more creative about it. Yeah. So it's this lesson for us that if we start, as we plan our editorial or our thought leadership strategy, let's plan our bottle episode. Let's figure out which ones yeah. we need to spend less on so that it forces us to get more creative about the way that we'll approach that particular topic and save yeah. and, and plan for the ones that we really want to blow it out of the, you know, have our blockbuster, if you will. So that's, that's yeah. what I'm thinking about. Yeah. No, and that's, um, that's really interesting for a number of reasons. One of them is like you say, the sort of budgeting idea of how, and how much we need, we want to spend creatively firstly, and, and thinking about, thinking about that. And the other one is, is the idea that absolutely, and I got that from, from the show as well, that the, some of the bottle episodes, the cheap ones, were actually the ones that resonated with fans the most. And the other part of that is, I think you've talked about this actually, about if you're given constraints creatively, you actually produce better work. I think, I think you've talked about the fact that you, sh you, you know, working within those constraints, actually, you, you, you create better content. Yeah, that's right. You, 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 you do it, you know, it's like you, you do it purposely, right? Yeah. In other words, if I say, you know, okay, we've got six white papers to write over the next yeah. six months. Let's not yeah. just say that and then go look at each one as a widget that we need to produce, but let's plan it out. Let's plan out that the third one is yeah. going to be one that we actually spend, you know, 25% of our budget on. 
and yeah. and and basically we're going to go you know we're going to go get some influencer to help us do it we're going to you know we're going to put yeah. production into this we're going to make it an experience as well as a pdf yeah. we're going to we're going to really think it through and then to accommodate that our you know second white paper and seventh white or 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 fifth white paper those are going to be low cost where we're going to write it ourselves we're going to you know we're going to put out that thought leadership and we need to be extra special creative here about what we're writing about because it's just going to be us. So those maybe we'll put a little more promotion behind or we'll do something else about it to make it special. But that, you know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's looking at the plan to say, here's where we're going to spend our money. And it's not just equal among equal pieces. Yeah, yeah. We're really thinking about just- it from a strategic perspective. And, but not just strategically how you spend your budget and the fact that you're going to try and create these cheaper creative moments. But it is also about um, the fact that then you start thinking about the story. Because presumably with the Friends writers, they needed to then think about, right, okay, I need to get the story in a particular position where, you know, this is going to now take place in the apartment and just concern Joey and Chandler and something's going to happen. Because, I mean, it, it was, you know, there was a theme you know there was a story arc going through the show so presumably they had to think of that story arc and know where the characters would be at that particular point is did, is that a lesson to learn there as well oh for sure right because that become yeah. that becomes sort of the lines in your you know or the walls yeah. of your sandbox if you will right you know you still yeah. have to tell the broader story so in our running example here with our white papers it might be that oh you know what we'll do is the third white paper is going to be our big extravagant budget one. And the fourth white paper will be sort of an offshoot of that, like, you know, a side yeah. idea and refer back yeah. to that one. Right. So it's, yeah. it, it's connected in a way that allows us to get it done because of our, the cadence and the yeah. way that a sales enablement wants to work and et cetera. But we're going to yeah. leverage our budget to be able to tell this big special one and the fourth one, the one that comes after that, is literally going to be, you know, what you know what in TV they might call the callback episode, right? You know, where everybody's on the, you know, everybody's in one room, sort of remembering all of the best times, and then you use a clip <laughs> from the previous episode, right, to to, yeah. to you know to tell the fun story. Yeah, well, I'll say that that talks about one of your your TV analogies that you've used before as well, which is the the fact that um, we need to produce um, a lot of content and then be and then curate what it is that we publish. So, so it might be that if you do that big, um, big paper, there's actually stuff that's lying on the cutting room floor from that that you didn't include. That you great could point. Great put point. That into the, yeah. 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 Very good. Well, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna end a conversation with you with you saying to me great points. So I think I I can't I can't <laughs> can't top that apart from you know have a few more of these gins. Take a big sip uh, so, of that and, uh, tequila Collins there. Great point. Yeah, and I. Yeah, and you're probably just being polite because you're around my house. But I, I mean, that's that. I'll take that. Um, so for the, I mean, I did refer to some of the other work that you've talked about. And I know you've talked about some of these topics before. And where would people find those thoughts, Mr. Rose? Well, this, 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 this sort of my episodes can all be found on my little TV network, which is called contentadvisory.net, where you can catch mm-hmm. the latest, uh, the latest and greatest. Splendid. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, you'll find me on social media on uh, Twitter, Robert underscore Rose, which is always a good place. Um, Twitter coming back, kind of, Twitter kind of being the OG of social networks <laughs> and making a little bit of a comeback, I think. And then, of course, uh-huh. on LinkedIn, at your, uh, at, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find there. Yes. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Robert. And will I see you in the bar next week? You will indeed. Splendid. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. He always brings a bit of Hollywood to our show and a splendid lesson there from the TV industry. So that's a wrap on episode 66 of the Rockstar CMO FA Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Julie, Thomas and Robert. I really appreciate their time. So please join me in thanking them by checking out the show notes, clicking their links and following them. You can find the show notes at rockstarcmo.fm. We can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Does the world need another epic marketing podcast? Let me know what you think. Please leave a rating, review or subscribe or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. 
Next week, Jeff Clark is back. Looking forward to catching up with him. I'm chatting to one of our listeners, Julia Bennett, the brand new CMO of global law firm Brown Rudnick. And it sounds like I'll find Robert Rose in our virtual rockstar CMO bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you'll join us again here next week at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.